What really caused Harvest Bible Chapel to fire James McDonald? And what happened in all the backroom meetings, private conversations, and phone calls leading up to that fateful event? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And today you're going to hear from a former insider at Harvest, former elder Dan George. Dan was one of the elders who fired James McDonald. He was in the many meetings leading up to McDonald's termination. And he was the elder who insisted that scathing letters written by former and current staff at Harvest actually reached the members of the board. As you'll hear in this podcast, there was a strong push to suppress those letters by those loyal to James McDonald. And had those letters not reached the board, it's hard to say where James McDonald would be today. Dan also was in numerous meetings with James McDonald prior to his firing. And you're going to hear all about what happened in those meetings and the strong arm tactics that McDonald used to try and get his way. So this is going to be a fascinating podcast, but it's also an important podcast because as you may know, James McDonald is aggressively trying to rewrite history and relaunch his ministry. So it's critically important that the truth be told. But before I dive into my interview with Dan, I just want to take a minute to thank the sponsors of the Roy's Report, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. There would be no Roy's Report without Judson University, so I'm deeply grateful for their faithful support. Judson is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson is located on a beautiful 90-acre campus just 36 miles northwest of Chicago. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu visit. Also, if you're in the market for a car, I encourage you to check out my friends at Marcourt of Barrington. Marcourt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. The owners of Marcourt are friends of mine, Dan and Kurt Marcourt. And in case you don't know, Dan Marcourt was one of three former elders at Harvest who stood up to James McDonald in 2013 and was excommunicated as a result. So that tells you something about the backbone and the integrity of Dan Marcourt. For more information on Marcourt Buick, just go to buyacar123.com. That's buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me today is Dan George, a former elder at Harvest and one of only two former elders who's apologized to me personally for some of the nasty things that were said about me when I was reporting on the church and James McDonald. So, Dan, thank you for that, and welcome to the podcast. Well, you're welcome, Julie. Good to be here. Well, Dan, like I said on an earlier podcast that I had with Mancow Muller, I was hoping to be done with James McDonald and reporting on Harvest months ago, but this is a story that just is not going away. And let me just ask you from the start, why are you doing this? Why is it important to you to let people know what really happened? I think of a few things, Julie. Uh, one is I don't want people to give up on the church hmm. because I believe in the church. And, you know, shepherds, I think of John 10, right? The, the hireling runs away, the good shepherd stays. And there's Ephesians 5 about exposing the unfruitful works of darkness, having nothing to do with those. And I want to help people lead the church well. And what's so tough in this whole thing is that there are wolves among the sheep. And many who have followed this story know what James McDonald has done. But like I said, he's really working hard to rewrite history. And so what I'd like to do is just rewind a couple of years to fall 
2018, and this is when everything really started happening. I had uh, been investigating Harvest for months, but it was at this point that I started to reach out to Harvest and really seeking their comment on some of the things that I'd heard. And then out of the blue, I get slapped with a lawsuit from James McDonald before I published anything. It didn't sit right with me when I heard about it, that the church was suing you and the Mahoney's and the Bryant's. If you went back to when the elephant's debt was launched, I think this is telling. That was positioned as an attack from the start. The leaders were brought together. It was a Wednesday or Thursday night on the Rolling Meadows campus. I don't know how many people had heard of it. I at least heard of it from somebody. By that point, it was in the very, very early days of its launch. Mm -hmm. It was positioned as an attack because the ministry was growing and those people were bitter, et cetera. That was a very common part of how Harvest approached things like that. The ministry is growing. We should expect to be attacked. And then, you know, you would categorize these things. Hmm. So you weren't part of the lawsuit. However, you did sign a letter of unconditional support, and that would have been right before you came back on the board. That would have been December, I think, 18th, 2018. And again, this is five days after I published my expose on of Harvest and World Magazine. As I saw it, this letter of unconditional support was a huge and somewhat desperate PR move on James McDonald's part to say, hey, look, all our leaders stand with us. I must be okay. Again, you're seeing it from a total other perspective where I'm the bad guy, James is a good guy, and I'm just trying to smear him. Is, is, is that an accurate representation? Yes, it is. And, and if I can give you context, wh where I was and my thought process in that, I was literally sitting in a hotel lobby waiting for a pickup at one o'clock in the morning to catch an overnight flight back from India. And I hadn't, I hadn't signed that yet. I hadn't given a statement yet. And I checked my voicemail and there was a voicemail from uh, one of the pastors at Harvest, you know, really sort of pushing for me to uh, sign that, put my name to that. And if I would, you know, post some sort of statement. And I had already written back to um, uh, executive committee chairman at the time and said, we cannot say unconditional support. Hmm. One, it's impossible. And we're going to get, we're going to get slaughtered on that. You can unconditionally love someone. You can't unconditionally support anybody. Should have that should have been enough of enough of a clue for me to say wait 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 that that's a check I shouldn't be doing this, but at whatever time it was you know midnight in India or something sitting in the lobby I sent an email, put my name on it here's my statement it was one of the big red flags to me or I guess it was a yellow flag had it been a red flag I wouldn't have done it I wish I'd never done it and I have you know uh, probably probably six weeks later less than that probably four weeks later or something I I uh, apologize for for signing that. Understandable. And again, you're one of the people who actually apologized for that. And so yeah. really appreciate that and appreciate the time at which you did that, because it was still a time when many elders were not admitting any of the wrongs that they had done. So appreciate that and appreciate your humility. So let, let's move on to these letters. Again, six absolutely scathing letters. Five of the six have been published. I have them up at my website if you want to see those. There's a number of, of narratives out there right now about how these letters came to the Elder Board. James McDonald recently did a video with Ron Dutzman, as you said, former chairman of the Elder Board, where he claims this was 
all part of a campaign by Dallas Jenkins, who is a former executive leadership team member at Harvest, that this was all a plot by him that he was vengeful towards James McDonald, and he conspired with these staff to bring these letters because they all just were out to get James. Is that how it went down? No, it's not how it went down, Julie. <laughs> if you read his letter, um, he was going to publish his letter. He wasn't bringing it to the elders. And through a discussion with a couple of the pastors, um, chose to give it to the elders, which we were thankful for. So he did that. And uh, Dean Butter's letter came in that way as well. But the one letter that isn't published uh, came from Sandy Song. And I actually requested the letter from Sandy because Sandy had shared some things with us about what she had seen. I knew letters were coming to the elder board per 1 Timothy 5. This wasn't anything else. These were people bringing charges against an elder. And scripture is really clear that it's got to be, you know, two or three witnesses. We turned out to have six witnesses who wrote 28 pages with innumerable charges. I, I asked Sandy Song to potentially write a letter. When I did, I told her letters were coming in. Would she consider writing it? And I said again, please don't do it just because I'm asking you. And she immediately said, I'll write a letter. And so she sent me her letter before it went to the elder board. She wanted me to look at it. And I got it, and I looked at it, and I could not read the whole letter mm -hmm. in one sitting. I felt physically sick reading the letter. I stepped away from my computer a couple of times, and I thought, well, I got to read the letter. She sent it to me, and I read it, and I wrote back to her, and, and I apologized to her. Mm. I said, Sandy, I'm so sorry for what happened on my watch. I didn't know these things were going on, but I'm so sorry, and you know, told her that I would get it to the elder board. Can you say what was in that letter? Because, again, that was one letter that never got published in the contents other than what Ron Dutzman said in his recent video, because he actually referenced that letter. Can you share what was in it? Yeah, I can share some of it. Uh, Sandy talked about over the years, other staff members coming to her after meetings with James McDonald in tears, just crushed. And this wasn't a one-time thing. This was a many-time thing. She wrote about you alluded to it. She wrote about uh, the end of this Risen for the Nations uh, tour when they were in Haiti and the demands that uh, James McDonald made to try to go home a day early. And again, I'm going from memory, but also from yeah. what Ron Dutzman re recently said, but he demanded that he be flown home on a private jet. I mean, here he is in Haiti that's just been racked by an earthquake, unbelievable poverty and devastation. And you have James McDonald coming in from the United States, getting off the plane for a little bit, doing a few meetings, which I guess he complained about doing, and then saying, I need a private jet to fly me home. And, and am I characterizing that correctly? You're, you're characterizing it correctly. And when I read that, I just shook my head. We're talking about the difference of maybe a day. And we're talking about a private jet. But James McDonald... He did not like to fly with the commoners, from what I understand. I've talked to other people who told me of, of demands that he made for private jets on numerous occasions. So these letters, and, and this is what I found really riveting about your story, is when these letters were first given, as you said, they were given to pastors, with the exception of Sandy's letter that went directly to you, and you then forwarded them to the, the elder board. But the other letters, my understanding is they came in and you're in a meeting with the other elders, and I don't know whether it was Rick Donald who was, was talking at that point about he had the letters and didn't think that the elders should read all of them. Right. 
Tell me about that meeting and what he did. Yeah, so that's that's February 5th, 2019. That's a, a Tuesday night. And so we're in the meeting. And mo- so now think about this. There's 30 men in the room. And most of them, a number of them, I'll say, have not read any of these letters. So they have no idea. They really, these the elder board was large and had no idea really who James McDonald was. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, there were a number of people. It was a large elder board. Not saying anything about the about the men in the room, but that becomes unwieldy. How do you how do you do anything with thirty people? Mm-hmm. And as people rotated through, there were newer people on the board, and they wouldn't have really had a, a lot of access to to James McDonald. However, there were a number of people in the room who did know him and knew him well. So, the topic of you know among other things, the topic of the meeting that night on the agenda was to go through the letters, to look at the charges, and to walk through it and decide. Does he meet the qualifications of an elder? And if he doesn't, what does that mean in terms of employment at, at the Harvest Bible Chapel? There was <laughs> a, a uh, spirited discussion of <laughs> the letters and who should be able to read the letters. There were voices raised, and, and yeah, uh, Rick Donald was one of the people, others as well, who were defending and saying, well, the elders shouldn't even have these letters. We had agreed they go to the reconciliation team. And uh, there were several of us saying, you know, looking at First Timothy 5, looking at Hebrews 13, 17, which tells us that elders are going to give an account. I remember talking and saying, guys, we're all going to give an account to the Lord one day for what we're doing in this meeting. And we shouldn't be, you know, happy with standing in line and saying, well, so-and-so said that, right, this is, this is one of the biggest things elders could do. It was a heated discussion about the letters and who should have the letters, and who should read the letters, et cetera, that night. And let's just, for people who don't know, tell them who Rick Donald is and the position he held in his relation to James McDonald. Yeah, so Rick was, in effect, the assistant senior pastor. He was the second longest tenured pastor at, at Harvest. He had joined, I think, a year into uh, into Harvest's history, and by that time, Harvest was 30 in its 31st year, so Rick had been there 29-plus years. And very loyal to James McDonald. Very loyal to James McDonald. So Rick was in the meeting, as were others, and they were defending, saying the elders should not have the letters. And mm-hmm. I remember being in the meeting thinking, I can't believe we're arguing about this. Wow. So at the end of the night, no one got the letters, right? The elder board's still in the dark. Yeah. Now, what we did do is there were probably, I don't remember the number, Julie, but there were, you know, I, you know six, seven people who had read the letters probably more than that by the time. And, and we talked about what was in the letters. And that was actually the night we went, we went into the, I think we went to one o'clock in the morning and actually walked through whether James McDonald was qualified as an elder. And it was a pretty tough meeting. But by the time we were done, right, the decision that night was two things. And this is, this was, this was hard. But at the end of the night, we talked through it. We shared things from the letters. Not everybody had the physical letters, but we talked through what was in the letters. And at the end of the night, we looked around the room, we had talked through it, and we had consensus from everybody in the room that James McDonald was not qualified to, as an elder and that his employment at Harvest Bible Chapel was over, whether he was going to resign or uh, have an opportunity to resign or you know, terminate his employment was to be determined at that point. Okay. And, and that was a big question, because if he resigns, he gets up in front of the church, gets to spin things. And, you know, can probably relaunch somewhere else if he's fired and it's and the church is very clear on him being fired and disqualified for ministry. That's that's a much harder relaunch. Correct. So then James McDonald flies in. Right. 
and right. <laughs> and the drama begins. So walk us through the drama of that weekend. James McDonald trying to save his job, and when he sees he can't save it, it sounds like then he was trying to lobby for uh, being able to resign, and a lot of emotional manipulation being used that weekend from from what you've told me. So what happened? All right. So now you you have this meeting that ends, you know. Tuesday night meeting that ends in the wee hours of the Wednesday, February 6th. And um, there were meetings on Wednesday where James McDonald was informed of the decision of the elder board. On Thursday, the 7th, I got a text from one of the elders who said, uh, call me if you, if you can before such and such a time. I stepped into a conference room. I called him and he said, you know, James McDonald had requested that I come out to a meeting and he had requested Mike Dunwoody and um, one other elder, Mark Hopwood, who's a longtime elder from Elgin, that we would all join them for a meeting at seven o'clock on that Thursday night. It was a four-hour meeting. And uh, to give you the flavor of the meeting, when I walked in the room and we all greeted each other, we were in uh, the former executive pastor's office around an oval table. And James McDonald was sitting across from me. And he opened the meeting looking at me and said, I know what you're going to do. And the church is going to implode or blow up and it's going to be on you. Wow. So I had, a, I had a pretty good sense of what the meeting was going to be from that point on. And that's got to be a heavy, I mean, even though at this point your eyes have been open, this man has been your pastor for decades. Yeah. And to hear that, it's still got to be pretty tough to stand up to that. Or, or at that point, were you like, no, I know the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward. Both are true. I remember praying before the, the Harvest Elgin campus has a garage in it. It's a former you know, corporate space. And so I was pulling into the garage and I knew I'd, I knew as soon as I pulled in the garage, you know, I was, I was going to go drive up to whatever floor and go to the meeting. And I stopped my car and I sat and prayed. And I just asked the Holy Spirit to show me, you have to show me, you have to show me what's going on. And with that opening, I, I felt like it was confirmed. I knew that I wasn't going to win any arguments in the room. I also knew that I needed to talk enough so that it wasn't like, well, this what's what's going on with him because I'm not a quiet guy in meetings. There were times in the meeting where, you know, I didn't even know what gaslighting was. I wish I didn't hmm. um, still. But it happened to me in the meeting where uh, I raised a couple of things and James McDonald's like, well, I don't, I don't remember that. And I, I didn't I didn't argue with him. Or what's the point of arguing the point? You know, like, OK, you're going to say you don't remember that part. But one of the circumstances he's talking about, he's talking about something specific where I'd stood up for him in a meeting years ago. Rick Donald actually had talked to me after the meeting and said how much that meant to James. So for James McDonald to say that he didn't remember, like, I'm not buying it, right? It was really, it was a painful meeting. It was a, was an eye-opening meeting as well, though. And at this point, the letters, what had happened with the letters? Had they reached all the elders at this point? I had all the letters at that point. I had asked one of the one of the people on the reconciliation team earlier that day. I said, "I'm I'm going to go into a meeting with James McDonald, and I need I need to have the letters. I you know I need to know." Now, not all the elders had physical copies of the letters at that point. I think of the timing. I think it was earlier that day that I actually I sent I had sent Sandy's letter out because Sandy sent she addressed her letter to the elder board. She gave it to me to get to the elders, and my job was to get it to the elder board. But I had all the I had all the letters by that point. I'd read through everything in all the letters. Um, we brought up several things from the letters with James McDonald that night, and he was just dismissive of everything we brought up. 
that didn't happen. Yeah. And in those letters, like Jacob Ross, who was the bodyguard of, yeah. of James McDonald, I mean, his letter, not just talking about the abusive behavior of James, but the things he did with the money, going on yes. African safaris with the church money, on that Haiti trip. I don't know whether it was the way, way down or the way back. I'd have to reread the letter. But I mean, they stopped and went to the DR, Dominican Republic, a resort there, and invited their wives to come with them. And again... <laughs> This was on the church's dime. Jacob Ross saw the credit card that James used for personal expenses. Again, James is is now saying, oh, all of that had approval. Well, maybe it had approval by the executive elders. Maybe it had approval by Fred Adams, who was the CFO at the time. I don't see that as absolving James McDonald. I see that as just simply implicating a larger group in a conspiracy to use church money for stuff it was never intended. But again, reading those letters, and it does have a different impact when you read the actual letter than someone summarizes it. So if you're listening right. you need, and you haven't read those letters, you need to go back. And Dean Butters, I mean, that one has to be wow. just the emotional impact of the the bullying and the abuse. And then even a video where he, he mocked a very well-known Christian leader because she was getting married in midlife for the first time. And mocking her for never having sex before. I mean, just stuff that you just can't even fathom comes from a man who supposedly is a man of God, a preacher of the gospel. So those letters, and and I just, I have to thank you, Dan, because those letters may have never reached the full elder board had you not pushed the issue and you got all of them. And eventually, and I know you sent them with a lot of safeguards so they couldn't be forwarded and you couldn't be accused of disseminating them to the larger public. You don't know how I got a hold of them. I don't know how the person who gave them to me got them. Honestly, don't to yeah. this day. And and I don't need to know. I just know I got them. But again, you pushed that issue. You got those letters. You disseminated them to the elders. And then that became really the sticking point for James, wasn't it? He was like, he started appealing the process. So if you can't, say anything. I mean, again, he's dismissive of the actual letters, but he starts arguing process. Am I right? That's right. In that same meeting, that same Thursday night, he argued the elders shouldn't have the letters. They should go to the reconciliation team. And I remember a comment being made, Rick Donald said that that would make us the judge, the elders, if we had the letters. To myself, I said, and do our job. No one takes joy in doing this. It's so interesting. If you wind back and uh, in in elder meetings, I remember it being said by several several people years before. If people start arguing the process, you know you have them, right? If they're arguing the process, mm-hmm. and so when they started arguing the process, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, that's what they're, they're we're just going to talk about the process." And I remember Julie, I was in that meeting that Tuesday night. I remember saying to the larger board, "Guys, it is the grace of God that we have these letters." Here were six people who were brave enough, vulnerable enough to write letters, six people who I doubt were ever actually all in the same room, nearly 30 pages, innumerable charges. Between all those people, Julie, they they served on the staff of Harvest Bible Chapel for somewhere between 40 and 50 years, collectively. Hmm. Also, in addition to those, you have the letter that was written by eight former elders at Harvest who brought them in 2012 to the elder board and within 24 hours were excommunicated 
for bringing charges against James McDonald. None of those charges were looked into. So, I mean, again, this was round, you know, those, I, I would say round two, but I, my guess is there were lots of small rounds in there of people being silenced and bringing charges and, right. and the board looking the other way. And I'm just grateful that finally the board opened their eyes, at least some did, and I know it was a battle. At the end of that weekend, before James McDonald got fired in February 2019, yeah. You really didn't know at that point whether he was going to get fired or resign or or what was going to happen until Mankow Muller aired those vulgar excerpts from this hot mic recording that James McDonald didn't know he was on mic. He was in Walking the Word Studios, apparently, and said some really vile things, including, you know, joking about putting child porn on a computer, joking about me having an affair with a, a Christianity Today editor, which has no basis, in fact, whatsoever, just saying a lot of, of vile things. Had it not been for that recording, I mean, what do you think? Did, would he, have, he would have been removed from Harvest, there's no doubt, but would he have been able to save face, do you think? I think he might have, and the reason I say that is that weekend, so you, you know, here we are on Tuesday, Tuesday the 5th, I've already told you there was consensus from the board, he's not qualified, his employment is coming to an end. On Thursday, I'm in a meeting with him where, honestly, Julie, they were trying to convince me and the other elders in the room that hadn't been in previous meetings to let him resign. And we got to a Saturday meeting then on the 9th. There was a whole discussion about whether he was repentant. And I said, I don't know. He's, he's, he's not repentant. He's asking for money. He's right? the, whole, the whole thing was about resigning. I remember another elder leaning over to me and said, repentant people don't ask for money. And so we, we had a long meeting that Saturday. To, to talk about what we were going to do. And this still disheartens me because the people of Harvest, who we were supposed to be overseeing at that point, we were silent on that weekend because we couldn't come to an agreement about what we would do. There was a push for him to be able to resign and to negotiate on several points that we now know would have, you know, let him walk away with millions of dollars. I think there was a group in the in the room that would have let him have the microphone that weekend. And there were a number in the room who were looking at First Timothy 5, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And we were at a stalemate. Hmm. I remember going home. My wife picked me up. I went home and I just laid on the couch and looked at her. I'm like, I can't believe this. There was just an absolute refusal to rebuke him publicly. And I remember reading through that scripture and reading through Hebrews 13, 17 about elders overseeing and giving an account and Galatians 1.10 about, am I trying to please man? Or am I trying to please God? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God and Proverbs, et cetera. And I read all these verses and we were talking about it. And uh, there was just this push against a, a public rebuke. And I said, listen, I get it. He'd been the senior pastor the whole time. Harvest didn't know what it looked like to not have him as a senior pastor. And I said, I understand that. We don't know what it would look like tomorrow, but for us not to act would be unbelief. There's no joy in doing this. The only joy in doing this is we would be obeying God's word and we would be, it would actually be a loving thing for us to do. You do that in hope that the person will repent and that they will turn and that there'll be restoration. And why do you do it in, in front of everybody? Well, because scripture says you do it in front of everybody and it's to warn people, right? If you hear that from the pulpit, you hear that up, up front, I think, if I'm sitting, if I'm sitting in the seat, I think, well, how fast can I get to my car and confess everything that the Holy Spirit just brought to mind? And James recently, in this video that he posted, said that there was an elder 
in these meetings. He says this very, very disparagingly, who, who was holding his Bible and kept reading scripture. That was you, wasn't it? That wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> Shame on you for reading scripture. What what were you thinking? <laughs> Imagine such a thing. Well, you know, it, we laugh about it, but but I remember saying to the guys, "Listen, here's the passages that I've I've, I've been studying. This is the passage. If there's other passages we should be talking about, let's talk about them." And that reminded me of something that Dan Marcourt told me. Again, Dan was one of the elders who confronted James back in 2012 and then got excommunicated from Harvest. But he said when he and Scott Phelps and Barry Slaybaugh went into a meeting with James in the summer of 2012, asking for, what's your salary, James? How much do you make? We're supposed to approve this budget, and we don't even have a line item. We don't know how much the top people at Harvest make. How can we approve this? And they started reading scripture about the qualifications of the elders. And they said, I remember Dan telling me that that James slammed his fist on the table. He's a large, imposing man. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what his exact words were, but it was basically, don't you dare read scripture to me. And and Dan said it was just so unnerving. But he said, even the way he said that, he said, we got out of that meeting, we looked at each other and we're like, boy, I hate to say this, but that just felt demonic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I look back at those meetings that I was just describing, Julian. I don't. I don't say this lightly. I look back at those meetings, and when I look back at it, that's what I think. I think, how is it that we had the Word of God sitting in front of us, which is pretty clear about what to do, and we were at an absolute stalemate? I'll tell you, on that Saturday, there were we took a break because of a long meeting, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember talking to another elder, and I looked at him, and he was almost in tears, saying, "I can't believe we're not going to do what God's Word says." Wow. I, I remember saying, we got to pray. We got to pray. But it was dark. It was demonic. Well, and I remember, <laughs> I remember this whole thing because I'm getting bits and pieces from different sources about what's going on and what's happening. And there was a group and I, we had two prayer meetings of people who had been former elders, staff people who had gone on the record with me, literally more than two dozen people. And they were praying in earnest this entire time. Yeah. And this was a spiritual battle. I know a lot of people look at this and it was, it was a, a battle in the natural exposing James McDonald, the letters, the articles, everything. It was a battle in the natural, but more than that, there was a spiritual battle going on then. And I think it's still going on now. And there is a, and what, there's one thing we know about Satan, he's a deceiver. And so that's why I think it's so important to get the truth out there and to just keep speaking the truth. So let me let me take you to February, I believe it's February 12th, and that was the day that Mancal Muller right. aired these excerpts. <laughs> and man, uh, if you go back and listen to this morning morning show, I'm, I, I just, I remember turning on the radio and hearing this, you know, old McDonald had a cult, E-I-E-I-O, this song Mancal <laughs> had put together. And, and only Mancal uh, can can <laughs> deliver something <laughs> in the way that he does. And I was just, it, it was entertaining, uh, you know, on one level, but on the other level, just absolutely tragic. But as as these excerpts of of James speaking, as as James did to so many people knew that that this was the way he really really spoke and who he really was. Now now James is saying, oh, Mankow edited this to say something that it really didn't say. I've I've listened to the entire recording. No, it it wasn't edited. This is James said what he said. You did you have any idea that that this was out there and might get aired? I did not. Although as soon as 
pretty much after Mancow aired it, I had, of course, people from Harvest who had heard it mm-hmm. sending me sending me clips. I was at work, thankfully I had headphones on, and I mm-hmm. listened to it, and I thought, oh my gosh. You can imagine it wasn't it wasn't long before the elders were were you know talking and uh, I don't remember the timing exactly but by the middle of the day, right we were talking about how we were clearly going to have to have an elder board meeting that night. I know James McDonald says it was a conference call. It was a conference call because it happened fast and um, remember a week before the decision had been made in terms of not qualified as an elder and this and his employment would be over. The airing accelerated the timeline it we had to deal with it and by the meeting that night the executive committee came to the elder board with a unanimous recommendation per the bylaws that james mcdonald's employment should be terminated for cause at that point that's a meeting and when you're in a conference call then you're making a decision like that every elder everybody on the meeting on the call had to make right had to voice be ask any question you have we talked through it we did not hurry and everybody had to say right yes Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, Julie. I, while we were doing that, um, I was in my office at home. I knew what the topic was. Could tell where it was headed, probably. And uh, I was muted on my phone. And I sat down on the couch in my office and cried. It's come to this later that night, or first thing, you know, into the wee hours of the next morning. The the communication was out out to the people of Harvest, and it was over. I remember that too. I I remember waking up that morning. After you guys, I mean, again, it was a meeting into the wee hours of the night, early morning, and I got the text. I believe it was from Mancow who texted me. Um, I'm, I'm not positive on that, but I think it was. And anyway, mm-hmm. he's fired. And I just remember my first feeling, you know, just honestly, relief. Like yeah. this had been a months long drawn out battle. And so I felt relief. And then immediately after I felt that relief, I thought of Betsy Corning. Yeah. And her being in my house and literally shaking as she's recounting again, she was the the wife of Dave Corning, who was an elder at Harvest for, for over 20 years and telling her stories. And one of her stories, you know, about pictures of her being put up on a on a wall as a target practice for James McDonald and her seeing this shot up with a pellet gun. And the things that were done to them after they left, I mean, yeah. just absolutely devastating stories and and feeling the pain. Because when you, you report on this for months, you feel the pain of the people that are involved. And, and I'm still feeling it. And I'm still hearing from people. And the pain is overwhelming. And it was just a deep sadness, deep right. sadness. And, and again, I got out of this like so unbelievably easily. Yeah, I got sued, but... Um, the, the case got dropped. All my legal fees got paid. I mean, I got exonerated rather quickly. But some of these people, for 10 years or more, had been maligned because they stood up to James or they just tried to walk away quietly because they couldn't, they couldn't stomach what was going on any, any longer. And I know, I, I, I totally get what you're talking about. I, I totally get the emotion that you must have felt because I, I felt it too maybe not on as profoundly as somebody who had been involved so long, but it was powerful. Yeah. So he was fired. There's, there's still one more thing I want to ask about. Mm-hmm. Ron Dutzman, chairman of the board, who agreed to fire James, now a- appears to be out there saying that after James got fired, that the elders were, were spinning what happened in a false way. 
And from the video that he recorded with James, it sounds like the spin is that James was actually guilty. However, an email that I got that was Dutzman had, had sent out and then it was leaked to me said that what Dutzman was upset about was the fact that the elders were admitting that they had failed, that this wasn't just James' failure. It was the elders' failure, and all of the elders should resign and repent for what they did. Am I characterizing what happened there accurately? You are, Julian. I've looked back at that email thread. Um, yeah, Ron Dutzman, who was the elder board chairman, resigned that day. And his email says, it seems we are being talking, this is going amongst the mm -hmm. elders now. It seems we are being punished for the acts of someone who was our spiritual leader. So who's he talking about? He's talking about James McDonald, but not calling him out mm -hmm. by name. It seems we are being punished for the acts of someone who was our spiritual leader and was misleading us in a very unqualifying way. You know, they'd asked him as an executive committee member and the elder board chairman, and he says he refuses to read it and says he's not going to mislead the congregation with spin. That seems pretty straightforward. It does. Yet, Dan, you owned it. Why did you think it was important to own not just who James McDonald was and not just point the finger at him, but to also say, this was this was my fault too. We were just talking a minute ago, you know, the emotion and the weight and the relief and the sadness and all those things are true. And I was still on the elder board. We shrunk the elder board the next week down to nine men. Um, and I was still on the board. And I just felt this incredible weight. And I turned to scripture and I went to Psalm 32 where, you know, the companion to Psalm 51 where David's writing. He says, well, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And it became so obvious to me like that that was what it was. That's what the weight was. I thought the weight was dealing with everything else and there was a weight, but that was the weight. So I asked the other elders, uh, I said, I need to repent. Uh, I'll write a statement. You can review it. Um, we can put it up on the Harvest site, and I'll read it to the congregation on Saturday night. I wasn't looking forward to mm -hmm. that, but I knew I needed to do it. They said no for various reasons. We all need to do it together, et cetera, et cetera. I just thought, yeah, yeah. And I, the next day I wrote and said, well, okay, I respect your wishes. I need to repent. I'm going to put it up on my Facebook page, on my blog. Because, Julie, I knew that even if I'd gotten the chance to read it in front of Harvest, which would have been really hard, but would have been healing to people, I knew that there were hundreds of people, probably more, mm. that were hurt, uh, that all this stuff happened, you know, while, while I was an overseer. I didn't know it. And I knew that I needed to do something publicly. And I hope, I hope that a lot of people have read that and they don't owe me anything, but I hope it's been healing to them. Mm. I just knew the Lord made it clear I had to do it. I remember sitting at, on my couch waiting to, <laughs> to press the button to, to publish it. And uh, my, wife, my wife and I looking at each other and going, are we really doing yeah. this? It wasn't an argument. We knew what we knew what we were going to do. We knew I needed to do it. And uh, I did it. And I, I got to tell you, the people of Harvest, the people who were there before, the people who were still there were so forgiving. Yeah. So, so quick to forgive. I and mean, people were giving me hugs the next night. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to do it. The Lord made it really clear. It wasn't an easy thing to do, but but you do what God says, and, and the people responded as you hope Christians do. Yeah. Again, only you and Mike Dunwoody did that publicly. 
I, I did hear from one after I reached out to him because we had another connection mm-hmm. with uh, another organization that he's ahead of. And then he apologized. Mm-hmm. This was months, months later. Mm-hmm. He, I'm like, wow, you know, I've been here the whole time. You could have apologized a long time ago, but nothing publicly. And and it's sad to me, other than what, when they did finally, the former elders apologized for the lawsuit that was brought against mm-hmm. me, but so much else not owned. There is a solution for our sin in Scripture. Jesus died on the cross to take the weight of our sin so that we could be released from it, so that we could live in freedom. And yeah. and that would be my word to James McDonald. That would be my word to Ron Dutzman, to Rick Donald, to anyone who's been a part of of what went on that was really wrongdoing at Harvest would be to repent. And yet mm-hmm. so many still have not and still waiting for James McDonald to do that. But that is my hope. I know it's your hope too, Dan. And I just want to thank you. Thanks for, for standing up for what was right. Thank you for taking the stand that you did. And I know it's cost you personally. And thank you for loving our Lord and showing the way. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Julie. Well, and thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce. If you'd like to find me online, just go to julieroys, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Also, make sure you subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then if you could, please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great day and God bless. Mm -hmm.